0: Hi, everybody. This is Michael Abernathy. I'm the online editor at The Times News, and I'm here with courts reporter Isaac Groves, who is still sitting in on the City Park murder trial. What, are we five weeks in now with jury selection?
1: Yeah, the jury selection started on May the 2nd. I believe testimony started on the 21st.
0: So, Isaac, can you tell us again a little bit about the crime? What exactly happened? Just catch
1: us up. All right, well- Tony Day Jr. was 21 years old, and he was shot dead outside of the ladies' bathroom in City Park near the Jimmy Combs Pavilion. Um, It was uh, Memorial Day 2016. It was a Monday, uh, May 30th, and it was about 11 p.m. He and a friend of his named Josh Sims... Went there to meet up with two girls, Brittany Slade and Akaze Wright. Both of them were very young. Uh, Acazi was only seventeen at the time, I believe. Tony and Akaze had been texting back and forth all day, um, and they were uh, they were flirting. The way she talked about it on the stand is she was uh, she wanted to hook up with him, but she was also with a guy named Kyle McNeil who wanted her to get him into the park so that he and his friend Kakeem Harvey could rob him. Now. Brittany Slade, when she testified, she Britney Slade was Hakeem Harvey's girlfriend, and she said it was all Kakim's idea, all Hakeem's idea that, that they were going to set these guys up, and that they had been looking at him all day because a friend, uh, his brother's girlfriend, called him up and said that Tony Day had a lot of money on him, because according to what Sims testified to, Tony was selling pot and had, you know, a few hundred in cash on him, and these guys were going to get it. So they... Got the girls. Got him into the park. They uh, the way Brittany talked about it. They were stall. She was stalling him. Casey seemed like she actually might have gone for it and had sex with the guy and and get a little bit of uh, marijuana and some money. But it didn't work out that way. The uh, uh, a surveillance camera in the pavilion caught. Two people who the prosecutors say were Harvey and McNeil hiding behind those big wide supports on that pavilion. If you go look at it, actually, we looked at it the other day when I was working over the weekend. You can it's actually a perfect spot to stand there and spy on that bathroom door. I don't know if anybody thought about that when they built that, but it really is. (laughs) And uh, and you can see these two guys there. One of them pulls out a gun. And what's interesting is is both uh, Slade and Wright identify Harvey and McNeil from that image. I tell you, I can't tell. I can't tell. I mean, it could be them. I mean, it looks like two men. It looks like two black men. But I, you know, it's it's a, a infrared surveillance camera. You know, it's really hard to to distinguish these two. So the uh, so a guy at CCom, a dispatcher at Seacom saw these two guys were lurking there with their guns, and had the cops come out. And uh, the way Sims told it, they're in there with the, the bathroom with these girls, and they're getting kind of frustrated because it seems like the girls are stalling and then they hear the siren and tony day is the one who opens the door and steps out of it and he gets shot i think well i know for i know from the testimony from a from a police officer who found him that he was shot uh three times in the chest i believe with a high caliber gun and once in the leg and there were probably five shots and they recovered five shell casings at mm-hmm. the scene um and he died soon after sims was able to was able to flee the scene. He said that McNeil came in and pointed a gun at him, and his gun jammed. Mm-hmm. Um, and everybody described McNeil's gun. Said it was a, a three eighty silver, but rusty and dirty. So apparently, his poor gun cleaning habits saved this guy's life. Um, he managed to get the gun working because he kept fired a couple shots after him. Sims said, um, but he, but Sims ran from this guy shooting at him straight to the police, who had guns out as well because right. they knew they were going to be dealing with. They didn't know who they had arrived. Was. They had arrived, and they were. Uh, they knew that there was, there was trouble. So the crime happened. The cops got there. It all happened within minutes. The way Brittany Slade told it, it was her car that they drove there in. She drove the four of them, her, Akasey Wright, Kyle McNeil, and Hakeem Harvey to the park where they were going to meet with Sims and Day. Harvey and McNeil went off into the park to, to wait for the setup. And then they met the guys and they led them to the bathroom. She went back to her car and drove off. She walked to that direction with... Harvey, but Harvey went in a different direction than her. She got in her car and she drove off. But, of course, the police were all set up. There was in a parking lot off, off of uh, Overbrook Drive. And so the police were all set up on Overbrook Drive. The way Sims told it, he was in the cop car. He'd been detained. He was cuffed. And he said, hey, you should stop that car. And they stopped that car. They pulled her over on that gas station outside, out front of the uh, YMCA. Yeah. And Kakeasy Wright, she went off in the other direction. She saw that, that the uh, the police were going after Slade's car, and she went out at the park in the other direction and then saw that Slade had been pulled over in that parking lot and walked up to the car and said, are you doing okay? She said that she wanted to get her phone back. She left her phone in the car. Mm-hmm. But she was, of course, she hasn't been out of, she's out of jail one day since then. The police started uh, questioning Slade and she spoke uh, without her lawyer uh, a couple of times. And the first time she pretty much tried to put everything on Wright. Um, you know, Wright was the one that was texting back and forth with Har- with, with harvey and all that um and eventually she implicated herself to the point where she was charged with both of them were charged with uh, first degree murder and when you Robert say both Major- you mean Slade and Wright? both of them okay. both of the girls
0: all right so we've got a lot of names sort right. of being thrown around here so if you can tell us who are the defendants tell us the two defendants
1: so the defendants are hakeem harvey and kyle mcneil they're both charged with first degree murder and robbery with a dangerous weapon the girls Slade and Wright are cooperating witnesses. They have made a deal to have their murder charges dropped and be pro- and well, not not even be prosecuted. Be sentenced for um, for robbery of the dangerous weapon. They're both looking at nine years. Those are the major players. Um, okay. Then somebody else was brought in, testified yesterday, and that's her name is Saray James, and she was not actually involved in any of this, but she was Kyle McNeil's girlfriend. Now. Casey Wright was seeing McNeil, but she said that it was, it was not a, she, they weren't dating. They were just sort of hooking up, but James uh, did consider herself his girlfriend and she lives in Greensboro and had at the time had three, maybe four jobs was going to school at a and and also, you know, would uh, drive him around and all this stuff. So he calls her up that night. She'd gotten home from work at ten o'clock. He calls her up at around midnight and says, "Hey, can you come pick me up?" And she says, "Oh, sure." And she drives from Greensboro to pick him up at an apartment complex near Apple Street and brings him back to her place and he's using her phone apparently he never has a phone so he was always using somebody using a. he's using always had a girl around you can use her phone and uh he was using her phone and talking to his friends talking to uh, apparently talking to harvey and she didn't really know what was going on she says until she saw something on facebook and that would have been june the 3rd so this is what four days after that okay where the times news published his photo and his name saying that he was wanted on a warrant for first degree murder now, she didn't call anybody about that. I think she talked to one of his friends that he'd been communicating with, a guy she said, was, she was called uh, BG, and she mm-hmm. said, you know, BG, this is crazy. And he's going, oh, man, I can't believe you, this is what's going on, you know. But he kept, uh, but they kept, McNeil sta- uh, stayed at her place for, until the 9th, I believe. And that was when the U.S. Marshals pulled her over on the way to work. Right. And uh, then they went and, um, and they got in the door of her apartment and got McNeil out of there. And he was the last one to be arrested.
0: All right. So in the courtroom, who do we have? Who The, the judge is who?
1: Tom Lambeth. He's the, uh, Well, he, I guess he will be the senior superior court judge as soon as uh, Judge Robertson's retirement is official, which I guess is the end of this month.
0: That's coming up. Yeah. yeah. And uh, defense attorneys, who are they?
1: Uh, these are two guys, I believe they're from Durham, and uh, they're pretty well known to uh, a lot of the people around here. Uh, but one is Thomas Johnson. He's representing McNeil. And the other one is Robert Brody. And he is representing Harvey.
0: And then the prosecutor is?
1: Uh, Corey Santos is the lead prosecutor. Uh, he's the, uh, the the first assistant district attorney for the Alamance County District Attorney's Office. And uh, Brooks Stone is doing the second chair.
0: So who have you heard testify so far in this case?
1: Uh, well, they started off with Josh Sims, the surviving victim, mm-hmm. who was a very strong witness. Uh, he 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 was able to really handle himself on cross-examination that sort of thing and he told a pretty compelling and pretty clear story and was able to visibly uh, you know identify at least one of the people who attacked him and then Brittany Slade who spent a long time on the stand and but was able to tell her story um, you know even though they were the defense was able to go back and say you know you told a different story the first time you know and then uh, Kakezi Wright testified she actually had a kind of a tough time on Mm -hmm. cross-examination she's only 19 years old and you know I wouldn't wouldn't want her life. But uh, now we've heard also from Detective Alfredi Smith, mm-hmm. uh, who was one of the detectives who interviewed Slade, interviewed Slade a couple of times. And then we heard uh, from James yesterday. There's been a couple of other police who were testifying. I think there were some of the people who responded to this scene. Um, one was a sergeant who was also a paramedic who um, described uh, the day's condition when he was found, you know, the the, the collection of evidence and the, the number of uh, gunshots he suffered, and we've also seen the video, the surveillance video, quite a bit of the surveillance video, and then a lot of uh, body camera footage, which has been, um, you know, it's been. I think it's been really tough on Day's family. There, there's often his his grandmother's often there, and some other relatives. Uh, that sometimes that that row is filled up, and sometimes it's not. Uh, but uh, I know that it's been really rough on them to see. These essentially last moments of his life, where he's, you know, he's talking about how he can't breathe and wishing the EMTs would get there faster, mm-hmm. and you know, it's, you know, it, it's tough. And then yesterday we heard from James, uh, like I said, and this morning we heard from two uh, two analysts from uh, from the state crime lab. One that, who uh, testified that she was not able to find any DNA on uh, that she could use from the evidence. There's a a pair of pants that I believe right testified that uh, both Slade and Wright testified that uh, McNeil was wearing these tie dye pants. They're like red and black and white tie dye pants okay. that um, he apparently put on for the express purpose of going out and committing a crime. Um, not really sure what the logic is there, but not for me to decide. But uh, she testified that, that, was, they were, that uh, Harvey lent him these pants. They were like these long shorts. And so those were recovered and they were sent to the lab, but they were not able to determine um, – if there was any DNA, they were were there. The DNA from at least four people were on them, so they couldn't actually use them. Um, They bring people in to uh, even to, even to say we didn't find anything we could use just so that the defense can't say, why didn't you look for DNA? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: So the same for the fingerprints. I think they found, yeah, of the five shell casings, they found like a partial print on one of them and it was not usable. And they went through the entire, I had no idea there were so many ways to find fingerprints. Apparently if you heat up super glue, Oh Yeah. That super glue thing was really interesting.
0: Um, I should know the name of that because I'm a I'm a binge watcher of Forensic Files, <laughs> right? And uh, and they super glue fuming,
1: right, right. Uh, but
0: there's also a scientific
1: name. Yeah, she gave the, the 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 Latin name for super glue, which I'd never heard before and will never be able to remember. But it's basically you heat up super glue and it sticks to the oils. And if that doesn't work, then you put powder on it. But that didn't work until they found. I think she squirted iridescent fluid on them and that found a, a print that they couldn't use. A lab, a private lab in Virginia that the Burlington Police Department uses. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, municipal departments if they have the money have gone to private labs because of all the trouble that the state uh, crime lab has had and the backlog that's created. Right. And so this, they actually what was interesting because the state crime lab didn't get the stuff that the Burlington sent them until this March. Whereas this lab in Virginia was getting stuff in September of sixteen,
0: and when we say this March, we mean
1: March two thousand and eighteen. Yes, two years—well, almost two years after after this murder. Yeah, I don't—I don't know why that they wait that ended up waiting that long, but I guess they had their reasons. But so they, the, the lab in Virginia got this stuff back in two thousand and sixteen, and they were swabs from uh, the the door handle of the car, the the steering wheel. Um, they uh, got a sample of blood from the grate outside of the bathroom. They had uh, swabs from the uh, the bathroom, like the stalls, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. They had a couple of a pair of gloves pla- of, of uh, latex gloves that were found in the park, and they have made some tried to make some connection to the gloves and Harvey, who is apparently a tattoo artist, because both of the girls said that they'd seen him use gloves for doing tattoos. Okay, uh, and then uh, a beer can was at the park. And a condom that was that Day was wearing mm. when he was shot, and they're able to get DNA matches like off off the steering wheel and the door handle for uh, Britney Slade. And I think on the steering wheel, they're able to to determine that. I mean, like it was a really solid for Britney Slade. Like there would have to be, you know, it would you yeah. have to get a trillion more samples, more than a trillion more samples to have somebody who would who who would match as well. And then there's a less solid I think You have to get like. 4500 samples to, to determine that that was actually uh, harvey who was who mm-hmm. touched the steering wheel and then of course the condom was was pretty much a deadlock for day but there was also a second sample on the condom that didn't match any of the six people that they had to, to run it against and they ran it against you know uh slade wright McNeil, harvey sims and day that was when brook stone was was doing uh was doing the questioning and he came back and said so did you have a sample of the officer who collected it? Yeah. (laughs) No, didn't have that. So of course you'll never really know, but, uh, but, and also the, the gloves that were found in the park, uh, one of them had no, had nothing on it. And one of them had a DNA match, but it wasn't for any of the six people. And the beer can also came back for none of those people. So that's something you're probably going to be hearing about. uh, And in closing arguments from the defense side, just because it raises doubt. I mean, you know, there's There's unknown DNA on the condom. There's unknown DNA on these gloves. Who else was there that night? You know, can you
0: walk us through again the, I guess, the sequence in which people were arrested? Obviously, pe- police showed up immediately that night.
1: Right. Detained. Um, Slade and Wright immediately. The, the two girls were picked up right away. Wright basically walked in to the police. Harvey was arrested that following Wednesday. And then McNeil was picked up as, uh, well more than a week later. Right. So it'd be in the middle of the the following week. I guess it was a Wednesday. I think she said it was a Wednesday. Uh,
0: do you get a sense of the kind of detective work that they had to do? Obviously, they were able to interview uh, Slade and uh, McNeil. No, no, no. I'm getting right. Sorry,
1: yeah, right. I, I don't mean right is incorrect. I mean right as in W R I G H T. Yeah, yeah. They Slade from what uh, from what Alfredi Smith said, Slade is the one who who brought them the names. Kyle McNeil and Hakeem Harvey. So they have they had these interviews with these these girls. They had um, the video from the park, and then they had Josh Sims, um, who was able to to. I mean, he laid out kind of the same. He wasn't with these four people, but the paths of him and Day crossed theirs several times. As according to the prosecution, they were trying to set him up for a robbery. Um, so he's able to back up a lot of what they said and like I said, identify one of the people who attacked him.
0: Okay. So what, what went into identifying Harvey and McNeil?
1: Well, uh, Sims identified McNeil mm-hmm. from coming in and pointing a gun at him. And he's somebody that actually, he, he used to know they used to hang out in the same part of town when I think Sims was dating a girl there or something like that. And so they, for about a year, Two years ago, they would cross paths pretty regularly. Well, not two years ago, but two years before this this shooting. So he knew his face, and they'd spent a little time together. He'd seen he'd seen Harvey before, but didn't you know hadn't spent much time with him. And he he did not see Harvey at the shooting, but he saw McNeil, Slade, and Wright were able to identify both of the both these guys and say that they were involved in in setting them up. And they also have. I didn't mention pretty extensive text messages back and forth between Slade and Harvey. You know, her right. saying, you know, when are you going to come do this? Yeah, yeah. It's a go. And him saying, take him down to the bathroom, do this, do that. Um, and basically doing this setup. So that's that kind of puts him in the in the in the place.
0: So they identified them and then it just took a few days to track them down.
1: Right. Right. Because they were they were hiding out pretty quickly. Um, I think, you know, they. Obviously knew it was really serious and, uh, you know, and they were not trying to be found by the police. I think they, uh, they, they did a much better job of avoiding the police than, than the girls did, but, uh, yeah, eventually yeah. they got picked up.
0: How did they get away from the park? Uh, again, can you describe, or do you know, do you have a sense of that? I mean,
1: you said, uh, they got there in Slade's car. I believe they left on foot. I haven't heard any testimony that detailed exactly how they got away. I don't know if anybody can really say because they're not testifying. So far,
0: it just seems the city park area is obviously it's surrounded by you've got Church Street right there. But the police were all right on that side. You had police coming in on Overbrook, but it's fairly residential, but also fairly wide open. So it seems like you could see. I know that it's night.
1: Yeah, they they, um, they did not. Uh, I mean, they heard some police testimony about when they first got to the park. Um, you know, they're doing grid searches. I mean, the first the first thing they did was they got they found the you know they found Sims and then they found the victim. Yeah, and that was what they were focused on. Of course, um, they did have people who were out there setting up a perimeter. They had picked up Slade right away. You know, I don't know. I yeah. mean, um, there's ways out of there that you, like you wouldn't have to cross Church Street. Like, there's a culvert that goes under Church Street. So, I mean, I, that's obviously wild speculation
0: and i don't want to make it sound like how could police not catch these guys yeah this is right out in the that's not what i'm saying i just think it's interesting that in such a well-traveled generally even at night well lit right uh area when police are there immediately just how easy it can be for for people to get away
1: yeah Uh, yeah it was it was kind of amazing how i mean i don't know I don't know, I'm trying to think of, you don't often hear about police getting to a scene this fast. Right. You know, I mean, because they said they, they didn't, I don't think they didn't realize that they were, well, assuming that the they, prosecution story is true. How could these guys have picked a worse spot? Yeah. I mean, they're right under a camera.
0: I mean, they didn't know
1: that. They didn't know that. I mean, I, I went there the other day and like, you can see the camera. It was broad daylight, but I was, I was looking for it. Uh, middle of the night, maybe it wouldn't be. Yeah, you know, but yeah, and it, it it does. There are lights out there. I mean, I don't I don't know if I've ever been to that park at night, but uh, yeah, you're right. It's pretty well lit. There's uh, pretty well traveled streets around it. Um, the less well traveled street is is Overbrook, but that was covered with police from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, they. Well, I mean, and of course, I guess the police were occupied with picking up Brittany Slade and mm-hmm. and getting Tony Day. So. You know, yeah. they might've had a little bit of a window, but they were, they were definitely, they were setting up a perimeter right away. So yeah, these guys really squeaked on by, uh, but then they, they didn't leave town.
0: So going into the next few days, what, what do you expect to hear? And, uh, how much longer do you think this might go on?
1: They're saying they're going to be done on Friday with testimony. Then um, there's going to be next week that would be, if if, they're, if that holds true, there, that would be uh, you know, they have to do the charge conference and then closing statements, which I would imagine are going to be fairly lengthy because you have to summarize all this testimony.
0: What about, uh, do you have a sense of defense witnesses?
1: I, I don't think they're going to put on any witnesses. Wow. That's um, not too uncommon, but uh, when the judge is telling the jurors that they're saying they're going to be done on Friday, he's He's talking about the prosecution, um, so it doesn't appear that the defense is. You know, the, I imagine that means they're not going to put up any alternate theories of the crime except for what you know, what you can throw out there during uh, closing arguments, which is a lot. You know, in a lot of ways, I've, I've seen. I don't know. I've seen a lot of de- defense lawyers do that. You don't offer anything extra that can go wrong.
0: You know. Right. It's a strategy. Right. Right. And uh, I don't know. It's a murder case. I would expect to see maybe something. But maybe not. I'm not working in this case, so, yeah. and I'm not an attorney.
1: You know, I've only this. This is my only my second um, first degree murder trial, and I don't believe that one had any, the, There was no defense offer there either. Just okay. questioning what the prosecution put up there, and it's been. I mean, I think it's been it's been it's been fraught because the everybody's been tiptoeing around gang affiliations, right? And that's been. uh as it has been explained to in, explained in court, when the jury is not in the room, that the the prosecution doesn't want to introduce anything to do with gang activity because it's it's prejudicial and it, will, it could potentially give them grounds for an appeal. I would be interested to find out if it ends up being the grounds for the appeal. They never talk about the gang affiliations because that's a you know you're you're limiting your theory of the crime then. But uh, uh, but they have worked very hard to to tiptoe around it and they have. It's just been, uh, it's been landmined is the way the prosecutors have described it. Uh They've almost, almost opened the door by accident, you know, once or twice. The defense has almost opened the door by accident by, you know, asking a question and having, you know, one of the, one of the the witnesses say something about, you know, I heard this and, you know, and it's like, wait, 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 that she heard that because, you know, she knows so-and-so who is involved with so-and-so and. And, you know, there's also been testimony about uh, witness intimidation because this was the, uh, you know, someone called Josh Sims from the jail. Right. And uh, and it was apparently a mistake. The guy was supposed to call somebody else to go and talk to Josh Sims, uh, but gave, you know, called Josh Sims and gave him his phone number and his address and tell him, you know, you need to go talk to this guy before this guy's trial. And I think that the, the, the prosecution was a little bit frustrated there because they weren't able to really get across how intimidating that was because it wasn't just some guy in jail. It yeah. was... Another blood, you know, who's also charged with first-degree murder. Oh, what's the kid's name? Cameron Graves? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was the one that made the phone call. Oh, all right.
0: Yeah. I wrote about him quite a bit back in the day.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure when that prosecution's going to happen. but All right.
0: Well, uh, anything else, Isaac?
1: Uh, No, I think that's that's it for me.
0: Okay. Well, uh, thanks, Isaac, and uh, we'll... Keep reading and you can find today's story and then all the other stories before it at com. and uh,
1: keep up the good work. Well, thank you. Thank you. I mean, we should do like a timeline thing. We get uh, we get a graphic with a map of the park.
0: Are you trying to give me extra work? Hmm. That sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> this is, that's my job. I do that to you. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Isaac. See ya.